Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Anson Whitmer, the CEO and co-founder of Mental. The team at Mental is trying to tackle men's mental health, which is a subject that is really near and dear to my heart. You know, I'm a father of two boys, and I just am really concerned about the state of the world with regards to men's mental health. We're seeing increasing suicide rates, decreasing college participation rates, increasing drug addiction all among men, which is really spells a crisis for all of us. We have a fascinating conversation covering a lot of ground, you know, the kind of the origins of mental health in men, Anson's personal history and how he got involved in this. We discuss at length cold showering and cold plunges, which is something that I've newly been turned on to, which is actually really making a big difference in my life. Um, and just cover a lot of ground. I think you'll find this to be an informative and uh, engaging conversation. So now on with the podcast. Anson, welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. It's good to see you, my friend. Great to be here. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to chatting with you. I mean, you, what you're doing is one of those things that really crosses with my areas of interest. And so just really happy that you could take some time to be on the podcast. Yeah, this is great. It was a surprise to meet you some months back where we just got chatting. And I was like, wow, we have kind of kindred missions in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, let's uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I mean, you're the CEO and co-founder of Mental, which is a, a mental health app for men. But I'll let I'll let you get a little bit more into that. But before we kind of go there, why don't you give me a little bit about kind of your personal background and how you got into this space? Yeah, uh, Mental is the first mental health app that is built for men from the ground up. And a lot of ways, it is a culmination of my career's work. When I was 19, my uncle, who'd been living with us to help us through some hard times, he killed himself. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of sent me down the pathway of getting a PhD in clinical neuroscience. I wanted to understand why people like my uncle couldn't let go of what happened to him when he was a child and how that ultimately led to depression and suicide. So I got my PhD and my research was focused on in that area. And I ended up coming out to Stanford uh, where I did my postdoc with one of the world's most famous clinical psychologists. And we just were making tremendous strides in understanding the causes of mental illness. But it became clear and clear to me that we were just doing so little to scale up its solutions. And around that point in time, my cousin, other side of the family that I grew up with, killed himself as well. He actually called me a few days beforehand and left me a voicemail, which only in retrospect did I realize was a call for help. Mm. Unfortunately, to my continued regret, I didn't get back to him in time. And a week later, I was at his funeral, kind of a cloudy day in Minnesota, and we're sitting out front of the funeral parlor and a group of people marched by on the street holding up signs trying to raise awareness around the suicide crisis that's happening in this country. Yeah. Uh, it was just a wild coincidence because they didn't know my cousin. I didn't know them, but we all knew that we were just not doing enough to bring the suicide rate down. So around that time, feeling a little disappointed with our ability to scallop solutions in academia, I left, uh, went into data, data science, and ultimately joined Calm as a founding data hire employee number 10. My co-founder at Mental was the founding engineer. And we just made tremendous strides in bringing mental health uh, tools to more and more people. I knew that meditation could have a huge impact on preventing mental illness. At that time, it kind of had a new agey vibe. And I was realized if we could just kind of remove that, make it a little more commercial, we could reach... Uh, so many more people. And Calm has had a massive positive impact. During my time there, people approach me and talk about, hey, you guys literally saved my life. But what was really clear to me then uh, is that we just really weren't getting through to guys. And the problem here is that men are 80% of the suicides in the US. So if we don't figure out a way to connect with guys, uh, we will never bring the suicide rate down. We try making a number of changes at Calm to try to get through to guys, different teachers, male teachers, et cetera, but none of it really ever worked. And it was really just kind of clear to me that just trying to reskin that like Calm is insufficient, that you kind of really need to rethink our fundamental assumptions about what is mental health and how men's culture around mental health is different from females' culture. 
if we actually want to build something that men will resonate with and that could actually have a deep impact. So when I left Calm to take a sabbatical, I spent some time thinking about it, reached out to my co-founder who was also on sabbatical at the same time. We're like, let's push here. There's so much opportunity. So we launched Mental uh, last summer and we just uh, released the beta version of our app in the last few weeks. Wow. Well, first of all, and so I just want to say, you know, I just so appreciate your authenticity and, and sharing you know, the depth of your, the, you know, the, the situation with your family. And, you know, this is obviously something that has been part of your experience. I mean, you put, getting a PhD is no small feat in and of itself. And to try and, you know, really get to the underpinnings of that is just, you know, it's really inspiring to me. And I, and, you know, just appreciate how that's led you to, to this and with your experience at Calm and then recognizing the inherent challenges of working with men. I, like I said, I'm just so inspired. Anybody that has listened to my podcast for a while knows that, you know, mental health is one of those key things that I'm really focused on that I care deeply about, longtime meditator, and just really interested in men's issues, like working, you know, on wins work and have two boys. So this is going to be a fascinating conversation. <laughs> I'm already loving it. What are some of the big challenges facing men? I mean, you kind of mentioned, you know, the suicide rate, some of the challenges. You know, I see that my experience with this is there's a lot of social isolation with men. Help me understand the problem regarding men's mental health and then how you kind of uniquely try and address some of the challenges to overcome it. Yeah. Yep. Men are three to four X of the suicides or three X of the deaths of despair, substance abuse disorders, uh, most of the people who are homeless. There's just a general number of ways that men are struggling. We see that there's now two uh, X more women going to college and enrolling in college than men. And it's being called the male college crisis. Yeah. I think I read that in, the, there's a good book called Of Boys and Men where they kind of outline this. Maybe you even recommended that to me. I don't know, but it was yeah. it's a good book. Richard Reeves. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, there's generally, we're just kind of failing. Our conversation around men's mental health is just failing in society right now. There is, when you kind of step back and look at it, there's a little bit of a one-size-fits-all kind of approach to it. It assumes that mental health is just the tools are the same for everybody and should work as well for everybody. And that clearly isn't the case. We're seeing that because men's cultural mental health is so different from females that we do need to have specific tools that resonate more with men. I know from my time in research that the factors causing mental illness in men are different from the factors causing mental illness in women. So it follows that the solutions and the way we approach men should also be different. But also you just see the way we talk about it in the media and out there in the world, which is, I, I feel like there's really just one side that I call like, you need to eat your veggies side, which basically scolds men for not doing things like going to therapy, being more emotionally vulnerable, sharing their feelings. And therapy, emotional vulnerability, to be clear, are very effective tools uh, in the right situation. But the problem is, is to a lot of guys, they struggle to talk about this with someone else. Sharing their feelings is not the first type of approach they use to deal with their mental health. So emphasizing them as the only tools makes it so the gap is too big for a lot of guys. So they make no progress. And if you don't connect, then you make you have no impact. You make no difference. Then there's the other side, which is basically telling guys that they need to go back to being like John Wayne. <laughs> but it's so clear that the fiercest, hardest guy with the six-shooter on the high plains is no longer the guy that survives and thrives in modern society. Modern life is just so different. There's a lot of pressures that come with it. And we need to upgrade our minds, upgrade our lifestyles and how we live if we want to thrive with all the modern pressures. So it's clear that men need to start working on their mind in a daily sort of way, the same way where we kind of work out and lift weights, but we're failing to do that. It's a really big thing that we're doing at Mental is we're trying to be a third way. Or the cultural conversation of those two sides, we're kind of trying to step around it and offer a different approach where we can be. Mental health can be irreverent. It can be funny. It doesn't have to feel so serious like going to church or monastery. It doesn't have to start with tools around talk therapy and being emotionally vulnerable. Those are tools for the right situation, but there's a lot of other tools out there that can help guys. We're starting there. We're meeting them where they're at. We're science-based. We're action-oriented. 
it's less about sitting down and talking and more stand up and do. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, what you said about you know, you know meeting people where they're at or trying to break through. I remember when I first started meditation. You know, there was I went to this Buddhist geeks conference, which was really nerdy as you can imagine. But there was this whole argument about like, are we losing the essence of meditation by doing things like teaching mindfulness? And my whole point about that was like, huh. Yeah, maybe, but you're creating a whole new opportunity for people. Like you're creating a much bigger market. And some percentage of those people will decide I'm going to go past level one and go deeper into it. And so if we're having this huge crisis of men's mental health and we're not connecting, like just being able to connect to get more people on a path is a huge first step. I mean, I really appreciate that conceptually. And, and, you know, like I'm a pretty emotionally open guy. And so like talk therapy and all those things seem to resonate with me. But, you know, I have a lot of friends that are like, <laughs> yeah, not so much. <laughs> so finding a way to break through on that is, I, I think, is really a, is a really powerful insight. So like, what are some of the, I, I got to play with the app a little bit, but like, what's kind of an example of that? I knew, Like, how do you start to like initially break through? Like, what's the first step for people? Yeah, I, I, that's great. Now, I, I, a big thing for us is just how do we seamlessly integrate this into your daily routines is you talk to a lot of guys and they're like, I'd, I'd do something, but it's just, I, I don't have time. And they, you know, you don't even have like the 10 minutes. So yeah. we're just like, we know people already have a number of routines that they're doing day to day. And we're like, can we just like put it on top, make it part of that? So it's not hard to do. So we actually have built it basically around a lot of the guys' bathroom routine, like the shit shower and shave routine. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Mal of routines that there is. Um, and it is like, we're offering kind of this short daily audio content, which I kind of view it's science-based wisdom and advice and tools. Uh, I view it really as just being a microdose, a little nudge around your mindset that you get each day is just two minutes long. And really what, a lot of guys know they need to kind of strengthen their mindset and push on themselves. They'll hear a podcast that's four hours long or maybe read a book and they're like, yeah, I should do something. But then they just end there. Maybe they're motivated for a few days, but then they kind of forget about it. If you really want to shift your mindset, if you really want to strengthen it, you need a way to make it kind of just small, consistent, something you're pushing on a little every day. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, you know, in the coaching work, it's sort of like if you can, you know, change that that mindset, then everything comes. It's sort of like, you know, change your mind, change your thinking, change your action, right? So like that that one shift, although it might seem small, it does affect how you think and then how you show up in the world. And, you know, the first part of your app that, you know, there was a discussion on the Minutemen kind of relating it back to um, the war with the British, but that we're in a war right now and a war for attention. And I got to tell you, that so resonated with me. I mean, I have two boys that I, I literally picked up all the boys from basketball, threw them in the house, walked out the door, and all they want is Nintendo time and screen time and all of that. And, and I'm just, I, know, I was listening to your app, I'm like, oh my gosh, there is a war for attention going on right now. There really is. There's many engineers out there trying to get your attention. Yeah. And so just even being able to like frame that, I mean, I remember in my own kind of journey, reading a book about choice and realizing, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you see 50,000 choices, like you get overwhelmed by that and just recognizing how that plays in with the advertising cycle. And it was kind of the early you know, beginnings of how people stole attention. It was just a, a, that light bulb moment for me. I'm like, wait a second, the deck is kind of stacked against me. Like I need to be prepared for this. And I just love that entry. Cause I think that that is a shift. I mean, I, you know, I assume that everybody's seen the social dilemma, but I'm not sure everybody has, but everybody recognizes that that's what's going on out there. So I don't know. I just, the, the app just really resonated with me that first step. Yeah. And we're talking about like kind of too much use of digital devices. It's people often will think, well, I just have to use them less. I'll reduce the usage. And that's kind of a change in behavior. You do need the change in behavior, but if you have a change in behavior without also a corresponding change in mindset, well, you are just going to go back to doing what you're doing again in the next few weeks. Real change is about not only changing your behavior, but really shifting your mindset to go with it. You need to do both. So yeah, that's like our, our daily audio is kind of trying to create that subtle that microdose each day. Just uh, And it starts to infuse your mind where you just kind of are looking at things a little bit differently and you'll kind of start noticing your behavior will follow out of it. The other part of the app that we have in just our 
our first release, we have a lot more coming, is the shower bit. And, and we basically have this protocol around getting people to do James Bond style uh, cold showers. Nice. Which is, uh, it's well known from the canyon. Uh, people have read it where he would always do hot and cold showers. And actually a lot of the research has been done on a similar type of style, cold shower. But cold water, it has a ton of mental and physical benefits by its own right. So we have guided cold showers that have been taught by a master chief Navy SEAL up until recently, one of the highest ranked SEALs in the Navy when he retired a couple of years ago. But he's guiding you through it and you start just so easy, just five seconds and not even max cold, just barely cold, like dipping your toes in. And he helps build you up over 30 days till you formed a habit. And the goal of the guidance isn't just to get you, to make it easy to get into the cold and kind of fun to get in the cold and motivate you. But what I really find to be fascinating about cold is that it stresses you, literally. You have the neurochemicals of adrenaline and noradrenaline that pump through you when you get into cold. So it creates this rare opportunity to systematically stress yourself in a good way so that you can learn how to handle stress in a different way. These types of stressors are called hormetic stressors, where we actually like we don't have enough of them in our life anymore. We're always comfortable. My house is 72 degrees year round. I have food in the fridge. I am never uncomfortable. And it's been shown through research, we actually do need stressors that cause our body to respond, to renew itself mentally. It helps you control chronic stress by just having like these short, little tolerable hits of stress. But what also we're doing through the protocol and what the Navy SEAL is teaching is all these kind of mental tools around tactical breathing, body relaxation, self-talk, mental clarity about how to respond to stress. And so you practice these things while you're in the cold shower. And the cool thing is, is that if you practice them in a specific context of stress, whenever you have those stress hormones that go through you, uh, and you know, you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off or uh, argument with your spouse or whatever, these tools will just kind of reflexively automatically kind of come to mind because you practice them in that context. So really what we're trying to do is teach guys how to handle stress and respond to it differently. So if you can make a breakthrough there, that is stress is a root cause of a lot of mental illness in, in people. It's basically like the line between whether you're an upward cycle or a downward cycle. If you're stressed, you sit on the couch after work and drink a beer and watch TV instead of going to work out, right? And then you sleep bad and uh, it goes downwards. If you handle your stress and you're feeling better, you do go work out, you eat better, you sleep better. So you wake up with more energy, more motivation. So you get more work done. You feel better about yourself. If, if you can't tackle stress, you're really going to struggle in life. So it's a big reason why we chose is like the first thing that we wanted to get after. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I really appreciate you explaining the whole arc. I mean, I, I have started doing cold showers. I got a, I got this like discount cold plunge. And it's such an interesting experience because uh, like I did it this morning and I had a couple and I was doing my meditation and reading and there was a couple things I was procrastinating on. And as soon as I got in the cold shower, I'm like, I'm not going to procrastinate on those things anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like it couldn't be any worse than what I just went through. Yeah. I actually use cold showers tactically that way where I'm feeling like I'm procrastinating. So yeah. I'll just hop in a cold shower. It's easy to do that. And then afterwards, the thing that I was avoiding, I'm just on it. Yeah, which is, you know, we're really talking about is like developing good coping mechanisms, right? So it sounded like there's there's a, are you retraining your nervous system in a way? So you're kind of... Exactly that. I, cold water by itself will trigger the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve turns off that fight or flight response when you're when you're in the cold is mostly a flight response, um, but it actually does trigger that vagus nerve. So you turn that off and you turn on your kind of digestion, that relaxation system. And most of us chronically are in the fight or flight state. So just the cold itself rewires you. It's been shown to do that. But these tools on top of it are also really effective at helping you kind of activate that vagus nerve, which for a lot of people is not only underactive, but actually probably atrophied. Oh, interesting. Okay, so it's really about re, kind of helping rebuild that that nervous nervous system component. Exactly. Oh, fascinating. And then the mindset. I mean, that was the other. You know, like the mental component. I knew that it was doing something for my nervous system. 
for me, you know, I'm a little older than probably your demographic. Oh, we'll talk about that. But I'm just trying to boost my energy level. And so combining cold showering with like an afternoon, you know, I do transcendental meditation, but like yoga nidra or something else where it kind of lowers your nervous system activation. Like I've been noticing a lot more energy at the end of the day. It's really fascinating. So how does the mental component, I mean, I love how you kind of bring those one, those small hits, but like, what are some of the other types of things that come through in the, for the cold plunge or the cold shower? And like, what are, you, you mentioned there's a mental health component to it too. Oh, of uh, just of what you get from the cold? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, partially what you were just talking about, you get the adrenaline you get from the shock, how it wakes you up, people feel energetic. I think that's a part of cold that a lot of people find to be kind of addictive. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a study done recently with people where- randomly assigned to do cold showers or not. And they, after 30 days, they tested them. They found a bunch of like benefits around like increased sex drive, which is probably mediated through increase in testosterone, decreased belly fat, better mood, less stress, uh, were a couple of like the mental benefits. But what was really one of the side findings that I found to be fascinating is 90% of people who got to the end of the 30 days said they were going to continue doing cold showers totally on their own. Wow. So there's like, most people think cold showers are awful. Don't want to have anything to do with them. Right. But the people who start doing them, even if they're just randomly assigned to do so, they continue. Wow. And, and I think the thing that people really love is you get the adrenaline from it. It wakes you up. It makes you feel present in life. I think we could often feel kind of a little bit like we're in a dream state. You know, we're thinking about all the things going on. We're just so distracted as we walk around, even when we're not looking at our phone, which is most of the time. When you're in the cold, there's no avoiding that. There's no escaping that. You are shocked. You are present. You are awake. And you leave that feeling awake, feeling there. It's kind of, uh, when you talk about meditation that I love, it's that meditation can ground you so much in the moment. And I've found when I've done cold plunges that are really cold, uh, like in the 30s, and if I could just sit there for two minutes and be okay with the pain and be present with it, and I'll use some of my background in meditation, some of those tools, and I've found two minutes could be pretty equivalent to like a 30 or 45 minute meditation sit just because it it centers you that deeply. Yeah. I'll have to try that. I mean, it definitely, you, you and I spoke about this before and I, you know, I, I was in the water for probably a minute and a half this morning outside and it was cold <laughs> for sure. And like you said, I, I mean, you're very present. I mean, I, I really pay attention to my presence. You know, my meditation practice is like, I mean, I aspire to be fully present all the time, like probably a lot of us, but <laughs> I'm failing at it constantly, but you're right. It definitely brought me to presence. Like you can't help it, but pay attention to the fact that you're in cold water, which was great. I know this is a natural human tendency. I mean, obviously to move away from discomfort, but I do think like one of the things that I've learned through my experience of meditation, all these things is like turning towards discomfort is a way to get through it. And so that's the other part of it, at least for me, that making that decision, like this morning, it was snowing, it was cold. And I'm like, I'm going to sit in the water. Like that decision is a decision to turn towards it instead of turn away from it. Which then to me feels like a little bit of mental training for where else am I showing up where I'm turning away from the thing that's uncomfortable that really needs to be dealt with. Yeah, there's this equation, which I love, which a lot of people equate suffering with pain. That's painful. You're suffering a lot. Yeah. But really the better equation for suffering is pain times by resistance. Mm -hmm. It's that resistance to the pain. It's like you break your leg. That's painful. No doubt it is. But really, most of the pain from it is all the thoughts that follow it around like, oh, well, how am I going to get around town now? Oh, I won't be able to play my sport anymore. Oh, what, it's going to be hard at work. I won't be able to carry my kids. I, like yep. That ensuing amount of resistance to the situation you're in is so much of the pain. So if you could find ways to remove that, and even the, the pain itself in that very moment, if you stop resisting that pain of that broken leg and just kind of observe it for what it is, Suddenly so you realize even that pain isn't that bad. Yeah. And so you go from this situation, from someone being really awful to being like, hey, this is actually really tolerable. And I think you can learn that in the cold. If you have kind of the right mental tools where you stop resisting, you make it your ally instead, you face it, you study it, you're okay with it. If you could do that to something as intense <laughs> as as intense cold as can be well you could do it in all other parts of your life yeah it 
it's a total shift in mindset. Which I love. I mean, I've talked about pain is unavoidable, but suffering is optional, right? Like, have you heard of the the parable of the second arrow? It's a very popular Buddhist one, right? Like you get shot by an arrow, something happens, you know, get a car accident or something like that. And, you know, they're, they're, it's painful. But the second arrow is always the one that you hold in your own hand against yourself. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or now I can't drive or whatever. The second arrow is the suffering, right? Just you can learn to put it down. But I, you know, the cold plunging is a very somatic physical representation of that mental mindset. And that's what I'm really loving about that is that connection between, you know, this mindset and this way of practicing it physically, which is, which has been fascinating. But yeah, I know I love that. I mean, so much of our own suffering is self-created in my experience. Yeah. And you know what, what it's cool with cold too, because you're just, you're being really active. You're doing something that's hard. You're stepping into an environment that's painful to uh, basically learn these tools. <laughs> yeah. And from an app perspective, it sounds like, I mean, you know, obviously you were very intentional about picking this as the first thing. So, you know, you, we were talking before about stress as being kind of the primary or like a primary cause of a lot of these other issues. I could see how laying that foundation could help say for relationships, right? Like where are you in when you're in relationship and you're, instead of turning towards your partner, you're turning away from it and that's causing all sorts of problems. So I, I could imagine like you're getting a lot of, you're laying a lot of foundational benefit by, you know, doing, you're doing this first, you know, cold showering and. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you could have these kind of tools just show up reflexively and I actually had that uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my wife gave me some uh, crap about not loading the dishwasher properly. <laughs> That's never happened in my household ever, <laughs> of course, daily. Uh, I know I was uh, uh, feeling kind of pissy and I was like, oh, I'm so busy. I, I don't have time for this. I like, that doesn't matter at all. Went into the bathroom and I just found myself uh, without thinking about it. I, changed my breathing. And once I changed my breathing, I realized my body was tight. I relaxed it. And then suddenly the self-talk just changed right out of that. And I, within like 30 seconds, I went back to being a totally fine and non-pissy state. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked out of the bathroom instead of wanting to fight. I was like, oh yeah, my wife was being reasonable and she also didn't want to fight about it. But it was just like, I changed myself from being stressed and being in a mental state that maybe could have caused a fight to just being in the state where I was like, there wasn't actually a problem and everything was fine. Totally. Which, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, what you said originally, you know, going into talk therapy and going and understanding emotions, I mean, that can be sometimes too big of a hill or too much of a gap. But what I heard you say there is like through some of these tools, you're starting to now connect a little bit more with what's true for you. So you, you're kind of like learning how to be more embodied or more connected to your full experience just by doing some of these things that don't seem on the surface to be about that. Yeah. I mean, they're just tools that could serve you to make your life better. And it's like, why would we not want to know and use these tools? And the things you don't, I have to sit down and go to multiple talk therapy sessions in order to learn the tools and start incorporating them into your life. Uh, there's there's other ways to kind of get at some of these tools that are it's just different method that to a lot of guys are a little bit more of a appealing way to do it. Yeah. So who do you think this? I mean, I think all men could benefit from all this, but I, you're running a company and you're you've got to find an entry point. Where who are you really focused on? What's your target audience and and, and why? Yeah, great question. Yeah, we, we are kind of aiming a little bit more at men in their 20s and 30s, maybe into the 40s, uh, which is my age. Um, a big reason is that I feel like this group of men are probably more open to doing this type of work than any recent generation of men have been. So much so that I, I believe we are on a tipping point culture-wise where if we just get enough more guys realizing the importance of making a practice out of training your mind the way we practice training our bodies, is that it will become the norm. That'll become the weird thing for you to be the person who doesn't do that type of work. And if you change culture that, that way, you create that shift. Well, now all these things downstream are a lot less likely to happen. You know, tying into my story of what motivated me to do this type of work around bringing down the suicide rate. Some people have asked me, well, are you working with guys who are suicidal and are going after them? And to me, I, that's a tough problem to crack 
because at that point you're being very reactive. Someone is already in a very dark and hard state. Uh, they really do need hands-on help at that point. If you're in that state of mind, you should be talking to someone. You should be seeing a therapist. Uh, app is at best supplementary. But if we could connect with guys upstream, you know, while they're doing okay, uh, or maybe even better, and you give them the tools so they continue leveling up and improving their life, or maybe if they are struggling a bit. The tools that kind of get back to being okay, and you change it so that it becomes kind of more instead of reactive, uh, proactive. Yeah. Where it's just something we all work on. We'll be less likely to descend down to the point where we do have uh, mood disorders like anxiety, depression, and ultimately suicide. And then the guys who actually do get there anyway. Well, the gap between where they'll be at if they're already working on these types of mental tools and talking to someone and getting help, that's a small gap. That's an easy one to bridge. Right now, though, you know, guys who go their whole life where they never do any of this type of work, they don't know any of these tools, they don't think about training their mind, uh, and they get to that place, that's too big of a chasm to get across. So they don't talk to somebody, and it leads to the drastic action that we're seeing in society. So I, I believe if we can get a little bit more upstream, change the culture, and I do believe we're at this culture tipping point. Uh, we will see dramatic changes downstream to mental illness and suicide. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, honestly, a couple of things really stood out for me that, I mean, obviously you know, I have a background in manufacturing early. It's always better to solve issues earlier on in the manufacturing cycle, right? It's just way harder. Right. But, it, but you know, just when people are more suggestible, right. It's, you know, I, my oldest son and I meditate every morning and I'm shocked that it's not, it should be core curriculum. Like why would we not teach these types of things at school for, for both men and women, but you know, men just, it's just shocking to me. And so I really, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, get to people at early, at, you know, when they're early, lay that foundation, then they can have a whole life on top of it. I mean, I do a lot of men's work and probably the average age of the men in our group is probably in the, you know, like late forties, fifties. And you're just, you're having to sift through a lot to get to the root issues. And it feels like, if they would have had some of these coping tools earlier on, they would have just, they wouldn't have built up these set of challenges, right? I mean, like big problems are a result of a lot of small problems unaddressed. So like deal with those early on and avoid the big ones. I totally agree. It is fairly wild to me that all the different things we teach in grade school, high school, and we don't teach any tools around mental health. We don't teach kids how their, their mind works. There's so much you could do with just such little amount of education. I think it'd be lovely to see society start changing there and valuing that because I, you look at the rates of mental illness in, in teenagers these days, it's really disconcerting. Yeah. Right? We need to be stepping up and doing something more. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, and it, I don't, you know, I'm curious. I mean, there's still a lot of social stigma. You know, you talk to people about going to therapy or going to that and people, you know, I'm just shocked at people's reaction to that. You know, you have no problem going to the doctor to, to get yourself on a statin, but you're not going to go talk about your emotions. Like that, sh that blows my mind, but it's still a very predominant part. You must have studied some of these things because what are you, are you seeing anything in the culture about this or is there any root cause of these things or about that stigma well just it. about the stigma or like i kind of tend to share why well, i do share your belief that this generation i mean just looking at my own kids they're cold plunging their friends are doing it there's just more access to knowledge and so it does seem like they're more receptive but i but i am curious like are there still cultural stigmas that we have to overcome in this country to to address this for men yeah uh, certainly um there, there have been changes there. I, there was a Hinge study recently of like Hinge users. It's a dating app. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they found that ninety percent of people would only date someone uh, if they were in therapy. Oh wow! <laughs> which is almost to the other extreme. Which is not like, hey, if you have a specific problem that you need to address, then you should go to therapy and get help addressing it. It's just kind of like do therapy uh, proactively. Just always do therapy. <laughs> uh, so in some segments of the population, it's really shifted to the yeah. almost opposite. There's stigma if you're not doing this type of work. I think that alone is also when it becomes too extreme that way, a little problematic because there is. Also, like privilege around being able to see a therapist. There, yeah. you need to have the time. You need to have the money. You need to live in a place where there are enough therapists, where there's good therapists. It could be hard to find one that fits you. And problem also is that there is a 
shortage of therapists in society. I think it's like 60% of therapists are over the age of 55 now too. So we're going to see an even greater shortage of therapists that are coming. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. I mean, it's like that. I didn't realize that it was, there was an age issue with that as well. Huh, that's not great. <laughs> uh, that's kind of some of uh, the reason why another thing that's coming out with the product that we're doing is AI coaching. Uh-huh. Uh, so leveraging large language models, but doing so in a way that doesn't just hope that chat GPT is going to solve your mental health problem. I've wondered about that. I was, I was trying to see if it could help me, but yeah, it was useful, but not quite the same as a coach, but yes, I'm sure it will get there. It's pretty limited. I, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, chat GPT is being trained off of like Reddit conversations is one of the biggest sources of data. I didn't so know that. Oh, if you want just random Reddit people to give you advice <laughs> on your mental health then chat GPT <laughs> might serve you quite well. Um, but, but if you actually want to have good clinical outcomes, if you want to make sure at scale that you're not occasionally saying things that are harmful to people in vulnerable situations, uh, there's a tremendous risk to just trying to let someone like a large language model solve it. But there are ways to kind of get at it in a way that leverages the tech uh, and also leads to good clinical outcomes. And to me with men, it's kind of like a, it seems particularly right because men are pretty resistant to talking to another person about their struggles, but they're clearly also often looking for help with their yeah, struggles. Interesting. And AI offers this kind of opportunity to totally in secret, if you want to, anonymously in private, and also in a completely self-reliant way, work through some of the problems you have so that you could solve them and move along. And, you know, it's like an example of this is like a guy going through a breakup. It's actually one of the biggest causes of a man first being willing to see a therapist. And men, we're kind of atrocious with our with our buddies when they talk about struggling around a breakup. For a lot of guys, it's like they will tell the friend, hey, get over it. Like It's not worth that amount of pain. Go hook up with someone else. And then once they've given that advice, they don't want to talk about it again. They're kind of done. And the friend who's still in pain... Some of them will be in so much pain that they will talk to a therapist, but, you know, kind of coming back to your question around the stigma is a lot of them don't want to admit defeat and be like, I failed. I was that weak. I got hurt that bad to to see a therapist. And I think that is a mistaken way to view it uh, because a therapist really can help you solve that problem, get back up on your feet faster. But those guys who are in that middle ground who you know, their friends aren't there and they're not ready to see a therapist. Well, in private, if they could just talk to someone, an AI who could help them understand what's going on. And it's not just, Hey, we're just going to have you talk about your feelings week in, week out. It's really a very explicit goal. We're trying to help you get back on your feet as fast as you can so that you feel better. And if guys do that, like they'll see the gains and to me, I also believe, you know, like you meet them where they're at there, but then downstream again, hey, if they're in a more complex situation, they're like, hey, this is actually the time where I need to go hunt down and find a person I could talk to live. This is a lot more complex and I want to trust an AI too. Yeah. What I, but, you know, what I love about that is, look, you're getting people engaged in their own well-being. Right. And it would be great if all the men were more open to this and they, you know, they didn't have these stigmas. But I mean, the reality is that's where they're at for for whatever, you know, maybe that's a different segment altogether on how do we get people to be more open as men that they're younger, but whatever. But, you know, meeting them where they're at, getting them engaged in their own well-being. I mean, that's part of I mean, that's self-leadership, right? Like, and if it's through a tool like that, that's, some, I mean, I think that's great. Like, you know, it's not going to solve all their problems, but it definitely is an entry point. And if it keeps, you know, if, it, if they see some gains and it creates some curiosity, then that creates them on a path of like, hey, wait a second, I can take control of my life and my mental health. And there's different ways about I, about doing that. I, I love that idea. Yeah, you got you to meet people where they are at. Yeah. I'm just super practical about this because they say, hey, I have a problem and I like these types of solutions. I don't like these other types of solutions. I resonate with this, not that. Well, meet them where they're at. Do that. Because if you could help someone in that situation the way they like to be helped, well, you open them up to a whole new world of possibilities that they're currently closed off to. So even if your end goal is to reduce stigma around talk therapy, if you just start there and you're like, this is the, we just have to train people, talk therapy is okay, and that's all we're doing. Well, instead of just being like, 
why don't we just meet them where they're at? Yeah. <laughs> Help them there. And then maybe they'll open their minds up down downstream later on. And that's the stigma will ultimately change. But at the ground, it's like, how do we help people first? Yeah. Which I love. I mean, and you know, you're obviously there's with your background and you, you have a, you have a science team, uh, you know, that, that this is all science-based. So like, tell me a little bit about, you know, how did you come to some of these understandings? I mean, you have a, you have a science advisory board, like who, who all else is in helping you kind of navigate this, this complex waters with men's mental health? Yeah. Good question. Some of it is my research. My research was focused on rumination, which is, uh, I, I originally was studied by Susan Nolan Hoeksma, professor at Yale, and she wanted to understand why women are more likely to become depressed than men. And some of it is that kind of over fixation on emotions and why am I feeling this way that ultimately leads to different forms of mood disorders like depression, anxiety. And I've seen how men tend to respond differently. There's a lot of research showing uh, that we distract, we use substance abuse, you know, we, we drink a bunch. And so when we do get to the point where we're suffering from depression, we're more likely to respond extremely because we haven't paid any attention to it at that point. But so a lot of my research was kind of very aware of gender differences uh, in that world. But also on my team, I have a clinician and a professor in California, Matt Engler Carlson. Um, he's a leading expert in men's mental health. And I really like his approach. It's a kind of a strength-based approach to masculinity. He's very practical as well. He's like, how do we take uh, you know parts that men appreciate about themselves, uh, that they cherish aspects of their masculinity? How do we start with that and just build that up? There's a big conversation that happens in society around like toxic masculinity. And the conversation to me in many ways is very toxic. It's like it tells a lot of men here it is just like masculinity is bad and masculinity is not a thing you should have. But again, meeting men where they're at, most men do like their masculinity and there's aspects of it that they cherish. And it's like, so if you want to help them be better people, start there, build up those good sides. And that, that's just what your focus is and you'll change people for better. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's a whole, what a fascinating conversation on, you know, the, the way that society is perceiving masculinity. I, I went to this um, workshop at Esalen. I'm, I'm like one of those new age guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Called the future of masculinity. And one of the more interesting exercises we did is we got to, you, you, you sat around and you sort of had to embody the healthy masculine, the toxic masculine, the healthy feminine, and the toxic feminine. And it was fascinating. People, you could represent that physically. And just to be able to, you know, have that conversation, right? Because I do think a lot in society, I mean, there's clearly toxic masculinity and there's clearly issues and everybody, there's a lot of reason to be upset about that in our society. And yet we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There's so much about mass, like healthy masculinity that's positive. It's like yang and yang. We need to balance those two things. So I love that narrative. I mean, you know, I, I ran a little experiment on my 13-year-old. And it was like, have you heard of, you know, toxic masculinity? Oh, he'd heard all about it. Of course, 13, you know, you know, middle school, very progressive, right? Have you heard anything about toxic femininity? Never heard of it, but I know, because, but I know it exists, <laughs> you know, but it was just, you know, just the dialogue around that, right? That that's the thing that my son, 13 years old, knows all about toxic masculinity, you know, and I was, and I was made a point. I'm like, there is nothing inherently wrong with you, buddy. You know, there's nothing inherently toxic about being masculine. So I love the fact that, you know, we need to find ways to embrace the light side of our masculinity and also be wary of the shadow side. I think that's a really powerful thing. And so to be able to identify the positive and then build upon that also allows you to then work with the shadow. Because my experience of that is we get defensive and reactive to some of the things that are thrown at us on the toxic side, which again, as a society, we need to own. But anyway, long di diatribe over. Love the fact that that's a, <laughs> that's a whole conversation. That really you know, is. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, the fact that you have somebody who's you know dedicated to men's mental health works with that. I really am hopeful. I mean, you know, again, I live in a bit of a bubble. I do a lot of men's work. I work with a lot of different people, and it feels to me like there's this change happening. But you know, it's in a, you know, we're close to the Bay Area. We're not, we're not in the middle of the country. Like I, I'm not sure that it's scaling everywhere in the world. The thing that I love about what you guys are doing is you're taking these best practices, turning them into something that's digestible and approachable and putting it at a scale that everybody can afford. Like that's huge. I mean, I feel I'm very privileged, right? I have access, I have time and resource to be able to go 
seek self-actualization and all these different things. A lot of people don't. And I probably couldn't have done that when I was 19 when I needed it the most. That's probably the bigger yeah. issue. <laughs> It'd be way cheaper. I wouldn't have to put all this money into it now. I could have like worked it all out when I was by the time I was 27. Yeah, I had someone who was formerly on my team and uh, data at Calm reach out and he's like, it's just really cool to see you taking all like the data lessons we learned about how to make this work and applying them here. So there's just a lot of ways where you could uh, really get through to guys in a way at scale with an app like this that you just, it's hard to do in individual men's groups and one-on-one sessions. And so and in that regard, you know, like, if you can get a brand, I start scaling something up. And I, I remember at Calm, uh, people were skeptical about the fact that we were charging for meditation because throughout history, uh, meditation has been free. But what it enables you to do if you leverage it that way is that you could you make money, you reinvest it into advertising, more people come in, you make more money, you reinvest in advertising. And what happened between 2017 and when I left Calm a year and a half ago is that meditation went from being a pretty fringe thing uh, that you know you'd hear about in college campuses to being something that a lot of people are doing. It changed culture. It became a tool that was known about that a few people knew about, to a tool that a lot of people knew about. So I, I think a brand has the capabilities to lead to these kind of cultural shifts it's really hard to accomplish without that brand and so that's kind of like in the same situation i feel like you know that cultural tipping point we're close to being there like what is a shove that could actually get yeah. us over that side to me i believe it almost needs to be a brand someone that could scale up keep magnifying their their voice every every loop through yeah, I love that. I mean, you know, we were talking before about how there's billion, you know, hundreds, thousands of or engineers working to take data to kind of like capture your attention, but you're doing the opposite. I love that. It's like data for good, like taking the lessons of all this data. I mean, you knew that there was a good side to the, uh, capturing all this data. You just don't hear about it. So, I mean, I love that you're being able to take that, that science and then use it for good to channel that. When I started meditating probably 12 years ago, it was totally fringe. People looked at me like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I just didn't know what else to do, man. My, my first real entrepreneurial endeavor kind of failed. I'd almost lost my relationship over it. I literally didn't know where else to go. And I found some Vespasana meditation and it really helped. And, but you know, everything is history. And now the world, I, I just feel like I'm kind of one of those people that always find something cool before it happens, just not exactly sure how to capitalize on it. <laughs> like I had Bitcoin when it was a dollar and I didn't keep any of it. That's a whole no. other story. <laughs> Just things like that. Like I knew I was meditating back when before it was cool, man, you know, <laughs> and now it's like a thing, but it's good. I'm, I'm glad that the world is going that way. And I'm glad that you can, you know, I, I agree with you. I mean, this, you know, to be able to take those tools and amplify that, I mean, it's good for society, right? I mean, we were talking the, on the beginning of the show about the real issues facing men. I mean, you're talking about higher substance abuse, lower college uh, acquisition rate or college, you know, graduation rates, you know, a lot of isolation. I mean, I see a lot of that in men's group, especially the isolation piece. I mean, how do you, well, where else do you think this can go? I mean, so you guys have some, you've got some great initial tools. You're kind of building this out. What are some of the other things that you think are, um, that can be tackled by, by mental? Yeah. And in the near future, we're going to kind of keep putting out these kind of action-oriented protocols for changing your lifestyle to fit modern pressures and the AI coaching. But yeah, I, I kind of what you're getting at there is loneliness is just such a big problem for men. Uh, we're particularly bad at making friends. And you look at the younger generation now, the, the rates of loneliness in the early 20s is shockingly high. And that should be the time point when you have the most number of friends. Yeah. And loneliness, again, could be uh, a root cause of a lot of mental illness as well. If you don't figure out ways to address it, uh, it could uh, you could end up really struggling. Um, so for us, yeah, longer term, there needs to be ways to build community. And I don't just mean community in an app where there's a forum and you chat with guys about other guys about what's going on with yourself. I, like We really need to get people in real life connected with each other. I love the men's group kind of things you're doing, but I do believe that there's ways where we could build up like 
a base or a reason to bring guys together, a reason yeah. to motivate them to connect with people they don't know and develop new friendships. And I, I think it, it will ultimately be essential if we really want to tackle men's mental health. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, there's so much potential with what you're doing. You know, when do you get a trusted group of people that are sharing? I mean, I can see how that there's a lot of opportunity for that. You know, again, I feel very fortunate. I, I, we were talking before about, you know, I've been part of this entrepreneurial. I was part of EO for many, many years, and I'm in this group. It's a forum for 16 years. And it's just, it's hard to quantify or to communicate how impactful going on this life journey with eight other men have been through death, business failures, ups and downs, divorces, like the whole gamut. And to kind of go through that in a very structured, supportive way that's still very fun. I mean, we do a lot of like, you know, really exciting adventures, and yet we still have a lot of space for that. And so I just feel supremely fortunate to have that in my life. But I realize how rare that is. And, you know, I think about my own boys, like, how are they going to, how are they going to create that, especially in this world where they're being, you know, pulled in a million different directions. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, and I, I don't know if I told you this, but you know, my mom was the director of the women's bureau for the department of labor. So like gender equity has been a component of my upbringing since, I mean, there's pictures of me, thankfully not on the internet, it's pre-internet, <laughs> like a bonnet pushing a, you know, pushing a, <laughs> a, a vacuum with a 52 cent button, which was like, you know, how much a woman made for the, for the man. So this has been a, this has been in my realm for a long time, but mostly from the rise of the feminine. And it just dawned on me, you know, especially having two boys, like, boy, this is something that as society, we have to tackle. I mean, we need to be able to find a way to rise everybody up. Right. And that, which is one of the reasons I just, you know, I just so, and I'm so inspired by what you're doing. It's so useful to the world and it's so needed at this time. I mean, I, I feel it on the ground. I see it every day in these conversations I'm having. I'm just so happy that you're tackling that. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, and yeah, it's like, we're tackling men's mental health, but it's it's not just men who benefit, right? It's our brothers, our fathers, spouses, sons. It's if we don't get through to guys, uh, then everyone struggles. It's it's not just men. Uh, yeah. Like a happy society needs a way to have happy men, and yeah, right now we're seeing rough trajectories, man. Think around a lot of it is around internet usage and where we're at, but I do believe we're waking up to it. Yeah, and I believe that we're starting to change how we approach it. As you say, like your sons are doing cold plunges and learning <laughs> tools, and like, and there's adults of our generation who are thinking about, hey, how do we change society to make sure that the youth growing up now are different? You know, that they they grow up into kind of mature uh, adults and. And so I think we're going to see real change. It, it's coming, but it, the work needs to be done. And we need, I think we need really good leaders and people that, you know, that can find the middle path. I mean, I think what you talked about before, you know, there's where you have this challenge of like, we can go to the, we can go backwards into the, you know, the foot more traditional, like John Wayne style, or, you know, this idea of like being like a really soft and feeling only male, like that, it doesn't feel like that's either pole is, is where you want to go. You want to find a place down the middle, but who, you know, we need someone to kind of like lay out what that is. And I think you have a really interesting opportunity. I mean, I downloaded the app. I played with it a little, but I, I really liked how you, you know, you kind of picked some of the things you're trying to work on, which are really clear, you know, male, I'm like, I want a better sex life. I want a better thing. You know, like, <laughs> it's really simple. But then that idea of like, who do you, you know, who do you want to be like, or who do you most personify? And I'm like, oh, like Aristotle seems interesting. Carl Jung, for sure. You know, you need to add Sam Harris. I'm just a fanboy, but you know. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is <laughs> currently our top pick. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> he's in many ways, like the spirit animal. I think he's like, uh, for us, he's like, you know, he's like action oriented guy, he's strong and cool. He's also like funny. He's able to, you know, he's charming to woman, but he, you know, he also like, has talked about mental health struggles with anxiety and, and he has this kind of complexity and nuance to him while still being a dude in action movies. Like, yeah, that's true. I'll have to go back. I, I did look, I almost pushed on that one. Honestly, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I like that though. You know, like we do need to, but we need to call out, I mean, you know, like we've gone through a, a cycle and this will continue of us calling out what is not a great male role model, but we need to identify who are those people that are great role models for men. 
patron. And it's, yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I, I didn't know that much about Ryan Reynolds. I've seen his movies, but it's great. If that's the role model, like, <laughs> yeah, we just need to, we need to help identify those people. And I, I love that. And I especially, you know, appreciate, you know, working with the younger folks. I mean, do you think that this would be an appropriate app for teens? I mean, I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of F-bombs, but in our house, it's, you know, whatever. That's at least my concerns. Like, <laughs> Don't take any pills is my more concern. You can say F-bombs all you want. I don't care about that. Yeah, there's uh, there's some F-bombs. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's definitely some swearing. Uh, yeah, we're pretty irreverent. But fundamentally, we are teaching tools that help, uh, that change mindset, that are going to have a really big impact. And uh, Matt, the clinician, professor uh, on the team, he shared it with like therapists, friends who, are, who have their sons who are down to the age of 11 <laughs> using it. You maybe want to wonder about the F-bombs at that age, but they're loving the cold showers. And in fact, one uh, of uh, of the kids who's 13 years old, he had to take the penalty kick of like very end of a soccer game. Uh, and the dad said he watched him do some breathing techniques that he learned in the cold shower protocol. And then he kicked the ball into the net. Oh, my and gosh. Won the game. And Proud then, dad <laughs> moment. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then afterwards, the kid came up to his dad and said, Hey, that was easy. He talked about the, the seal breathing and he said that was uh, way easier than the cold showers. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, I, I've been looking, you know, I, I've been sitting with my son doing some of the same hair stuff, but it gets a little out there. I mean, I love it for me, but you know, like non-self, it's just a little too much for that age. Like it's he's abstract. It's a little abstract and it's great. We, we've, they've added some teen stuff and I really like that, but I do just from what I've seen so far, I love that proactivity. It's something that we can, it's been a way for me to connect with my boys too, right? Cause I'm not a video game guy. They want to play video games. You know, we're getting out the cold showers. We're doing it. We're having fun together. I love that. It's kind of a way of me integrating with them as well. So I, I'll definitely bring it with them. And again, and you know, rightly or wrongly, the F-bomb ship has sailed <laughs> at our house. I mean, they don't get to say it, but it comes out of my yeah, mouth more I than mean, a few times. When I was 14, I think I was listening to gangster rap, you know, it could not yeah. be much worse than that. So. <laughs> well, yeah. And so I, you know, now have you heard of this tool bark? This no. is your, your two, your kids are too young for this, but you could put it on their mobile devices and it's like a VPN at traffic, all the traffic goes through there and it sends you a digest of everything. So it sends me all the songs that they're sending oh, wow. or that they're listening to. And of course they're all explicit and it's, it's like gangster rap, this and that. I mean, it's actually a really powerful tool. I'm not trying to do a product promo for it. It's all about mental today at getmental.com. But it's really interesting because it does give you some insights into their mental health because it views their chats and highlights things for suicide. Yeah. Maybe, there, you know, I don't know, maybe there's an opportunity for, for the two of those to come together. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a fa fascinating tool. Oh, it's great. It's great. So I have to ask you, like, this is an amazing conversation. You're here in Reno, Nevada. How did you end up in Reno? Uh, great question. <laughs> I, I did join the Exodus out of San Francisco. I was living in uh, two-bedroom apartment uh, with a baby um, and a wife during, uh, yeah, during lockdown. But I've been a climber uh, my whole life. I was even climbing and sent me professionally for a while. And and all my climber friends, they left the city as soon as they possibly could and headed to the mountains, which was either, uh, you know, Tahoe, Reno or Colorado. So it just kind of made sense. We didn't have to be in the city in order to have a, a job anymore. And and Reno is just kind of a fantastic place. It's like there's uh, a lot going on in the city, um, and there's just the access to the outdoors is unparalleled. Even uh, you know, I did my PhD in Colorado. It's where my mom lives, and we thought about going back there, but Colorado is just crowded. You go into the climbing areas, go skiing. There's just so many people everywhere. You barely feel like you're outside around Truckee or uh, the the east side generally it's you're just like you can get off on your own you can really experience the wilderness there's yeah. so much climbing there's so much skiing it's a lifetime of access here so uh we were just really enthusiastic to be able to get to a place like reno that's great i mean i love that a lifetime of access yeah i'm with you obviously you know i've been here for 20 some odd years now but you found, I mean, you know, you're CEO of a funded startup company. I mean, how is that? I mean, so I, you know, the community is great. It sounds like you found a good connection, climber. How is the rest of your your company functioning? I mean, how do you feel about the support? And, you know, tell me a little bit more about that as it relates to being here. 
Yeah, right now our, our company is yeah remote. My co-founder is in Hawaii. We're kind of spread out. Um, I really would love to have an office in, in Reno to open one up. That's actually where our headquarters officially at. Um, you Reno. get a gold star. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Cha-ching. I'm gonna, we're ringing the economic development bell somewhere. Yeah. And I mean, there's 20,000 people at UNR, at the university here. There is a, a interesting intellectual community. Uh, I was just at a tech meetup the other night here and there's people doing a whole bunch of really fascinating things in town. And I keep hearing about more and more people coming here because of the access to the outdoors and the burgeoning tech scene. So I could see the possibility to grow out an office, grow out a community here. So I believe it'll be possible to have kind of a home base and home office here. Well, look, you and I are going to be fast friends. A, first of all, I just totally appreciate your mission. I love the fact that you know, I think I'm really sorry about the tragedy in your family and, but how you've sort of transmuted that into a gift for the world. Like, it's really amazing to watch that. You know, I, you know, I, I've seen this in different aspects of my own life where tragedy turns into a gift and it just a really, it, it's a real honor to watch you create in this way and then take that that was painful. And then, you know, on my other hat is like, Hey, you know, as an economic developer, I want to make sure you are successful here. So I will definitely do whatever I can Excellent. to make sure <laughs> we make, you know, your world headquarters. Like I want, I would love the world headquarters of like improving male, you know, men's mental health to be Reno, Nevada. Like I couldn't be more proud to be provide, you know, involved in that in some way or shape or form. That'd be really rad. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Thank you so much for the time today, Anson. Look forward to the further conversations. And again, if you want to check out the app, it's getmental.com. It's on the App Store, also on Android. Yep. Awesome. Thank you again. And let's uh, keep doing the great work and let's just keep making the world a better place, my friend. Awesome. Really appreciate you having me on. It's been great chatting with you. No, thanks. Thanks.